Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass student Maura Murray drove from her dorm in Amherst, Massachusetts to the White Mountains of New Hampshire. At approximately 7.27 p.m., Maura spun out her 1996 Saturn on a hairpin turn on Route 112 in North Haverhill. There has never been a credible sighting of Maura since. Maura is 5 foot 7 inches tall. She weighs 120 pounds, and she has brown hair and hazel eyes. If you have any information regarding Maura's disappearance, please submit it to us, the Murray family through their Facebook page, or the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit. This is Missing Maura Murray. Welcome back to the Missing Maura Murray podcast. I am Tim Polari here today in the Crawl Space Studios with Lance Reinsteer. Now, Lance, how are you? Doing okay. How are you? I'm doing great. You're back. I am back. It's been a while. It's been a few weeks. It's been six weeks. Yeah. How, how was your time away? It was good. I learned uh, a lot about uh, myself and about, uh, you know, the world outside of true crime. Are you going to tell us what you were doing? I was working on a movie set. What movie? It's a movie called I Care A Lot. That title ah. might change in the future, but uh-huh. working title is I Care A Lot. Oh, very cool. Well, yeah. cool. That'll be, uh, that'll be a lot of fun. That's going to be a theatrical release. Where is that going? Yeah, it's going to be a theatrical release probably next year, but, I mean, they don't give people like myself the inside info. Yeah. Was it super exciting? Yeah, it was pretty arduous and uh, yeah. long hours, but um, no, like I said, learned a lot about the industry, and it was interesting to be outside of this uh, world looking in for a change. Yeah, and I think most of our listeners have probably never been on a film set, So, uh, I, and the, the old saying is the first day you're on a film set is the most exciting day of your life. 
uh, but, I don't know. I but, mean, well, here's the a... here's the full saying: the second day of on a movie set is the most boring day of your life. I will say that it was never boring. Yeah. Okay. All right, so we're going to get into some Ask Me Anything questions that we promised like two months ago and didn't record then, but here we are. It's a bonus episode. You're getting it for free, for bonus. Here it is. Here's an email from Tori from Massachusetts. She said, I attended UMass Amherst as a freshman in 2003 and 2004, and my sister was a senior there that year. I'm so sad to say that we really didn't know much of anything about the case until we started listening to your podcast about a year ago, but that's not why I'm writing you. I have a theory about this house where the two cadaver dogs hit in the same spot. I feel like it's it's possible that Mora or someone was buried slash hidden in that basement and the owners wouldn't let Fred or anyone in to search because they were hiding her body. Once the heat wasn't on them, they were able to remove and dispose of her body elsewhere and then they covered it with concrete and sold the house and got away with it. Maybe the cadaver dogs hit on where she was buried, but she was gone by then. Do you know who the previous homeowners were or where they went? I'm assuming they wouldn't still cooperate with the investigation, but I'm surprised I haven't heard this theory come up on your podcast from anyone else before, unless I missed it. I'm curious to hear your take on this. And she's praying that the Murray family gets some answers soon. So, Tori, thank you very much for the email. We appreciate it. What do you think about this one, Lance? Well, the question is, do you know who the previous homeowners were where, where they, and where they went? That's the question? Yeah, that's well, that's part of it. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know where they went. Yeah. We do know who they were. Right. And we're not really obligated. Uh, we're, not, we're not really, uh, we don't have the liberties to, to, to say who they, who they are. I don't want to, I mean, I, I guess. I give up anyone's personal privacy. Right. I mean, I suppose we, we could, but. We could. I, I mean, it's out there. If you look for it, you could find it. I mean, I don't think there's anything illegal about saying it at this point, but you're going to get people throwing stones at them for, yeah. potentially for no reason. Um, now, do we believe Mora was in that house? I don't know. I really don't know. I know there's discrepancies. I know the dogs hit there. Um, the Murray-led search cadaver dogs hit there. The dog Eisen that we met. Doesn't seem like Eisen's got his head up his butt, Lance. Eisen yeah. seems like he's on it. I think that what she's also indicating here is that perhaps there was a body there that could have been removed before the dogs were able to come in during the Murray search. And I think that that's possible with cadaver dogs. They might be able to hit on a place that had a body there at one point. Um, again, not entirely sure you know, the details of, of where they hit. We, we heard you know an area where they hit. Uh, we don't know the surrounding areas. We talked a lot about maybe there was some graveyard or some sort of like, you know, washout from a graveyard that might have brought in some confusion with the dog. So they, they might have got caught a whiff of something that had been previously dead uh, for a while that might have uh, maybe washed out underneath the house. I mean, these are old. It's an old area. Yeah. Could have been could have been anything. I mean, all of that said, like this is very, very close to where Mora went missing and would love to speculate more about it. I mean, the, the theories are all out there, and you can really easily come up with a theory. I hope I'm doing justice to the answer here, but it's just very hard to answer. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I wish I knew more, too. Really don't. It's hard to answer. Uh, it's hard to answer that. We'd never been in the house. We didn't speak to the, the new or old owners. Yeah, and, and there's, there's a lot of uh, communication that still goes on between us and the family and even you know Maggie and and Art and they talk to law enforcement up there in New Hampshire. So if anything does come out, we will cover that as best we can and as responsibly as we can. Okay, here's one from Chastity. 
She said she's been listening since episode one, but just finished up to episode 97. And she said she believes it was episode 95, but we were talking about a guy finding a backpack behind bathrooms. I was confused and driving while listening, but I didn't understand what y'all was saying. Uh, They found it, but turned out to be blue. Uh, I'm not really sure now either. Uh, I guess there was a backpack that was found um, in the woods, not super close to where Mora went missing, not like in that general vicinity. And that that was found and turned into the police. But we are led to believe at this point that it's not Mora's because they probably would have said that it was. And we're talking about the backpack that was found. Back uh, Lake, back, I think. Yeah, Back Lake or yeah. Back Mountain or something. And it was by a fire tower or something. Um, it's really tough sometimes to untangle the the, the rumors and... I mean, they get conflated all the time. There was that moment about a year ago, I'm going to guess, where this guy found this uh, thing that was sunk in, in the river. Remember that? And they forwarded it to Chuck and to Art and they because it contained clothing and other ob- objects and they thought it might have something to do with more. So I think that gets a, a bit conflated as well with other things that were uh, found along, uh, you know, in, in the course of this, this uh, search. Um, but those two, those two findings are, you know, 10 years apart, more yeah. than 10 years apart. So we know that, that Mora had a backpack. We know that a blue backpack was, was, well, we don't even know if it was blue. Could yeah. have been a black backpack. I think, I think the color was not determined because of the time it had spent just sitting out in the open. Yeah. I'm foggy on the details of the color at this point. Yeah. Also way to go chastity on your name, first of all, and your questions. There's a lot of them and they're great. <laughs> yeah, and again on the backpack she says, you had said that there was a duffel bag in her car, but her family said that she carried a black backpack. And what color was the duffel bag? Could it be shaped like a backpack? I, I guess I don't know. I mean, I, that would have been nice to know, I guess, but I don't know that one. Yeah, it was like a gym bag. Is that what we're calling a duffel bag? I don't know. These are pretty detailed pretty questions. Pretty detailed questions. She says, sadly, I don't think she was going to commit suicide, just going to blow off steam and was met with foul play. Heartbreaking. I cannot imagine the pain of not knowing. As a parent, I don't care if it's every possibility. They're no longer with us, uh, but it's just that glimmer of hope out there that the child is there that's more devastating to wake up to day after day. I just want to read a couple of other questions that she had. Uh, she asked about the uh, coordinates that were featured on the Oxygen show and if there was anything there and if any cadaver dogs have been taken to the, to the area to check. No, to our knowledge, cadaver dogs have not been taken up there. It, it, even for dogs, it would be a bit rough for them to get up there and come down and then go out into the woods to check. I don't think a dog could even walk through the overbrush that's, hap- that's happening uh, once you leave the trail and you go out to the coordinates. Nothing was ever found there. As far as we know, it was... Just some online prank that yep. needed to be checked out. And on top of uh, that question about the Oxygen show, uh, she wants to know about the A-frame house and it lit up from the luminol. And has that ever been explained? Um, we went in there with our own testing of the luminol and nothing lit up. Well, we um, didn't really do the luminol right. We I didn't. Think. We didn't do the luminol correctly. So there was never any explanation on that one. Um, yeah. Not not to us, yeah, yeah. We ju- we heard from that the old owner who said that he tried the luminol, who is a professional law enforcement um, professional in a different sort of uh, pocket of law enforcement. But he did try it, and he has had experience with it, um, and that's what he said. 
Um, now, we've heard a lot of things about luminol. Luminol can give false readings for uh, certain cleaning products even. Yeah, so, like bleach. Yeah, so that might be where where uh, the answer lies in the uh, the luminol glowing inside the closet in the A-frame. And, yeah, the, the concrete that was poured was never recorded in land records. I'm assuming we're talking about the one on the A-frame house, that slab of concrete. Numerous tests have been done for, with that. There have been no biological material underneath the surface, and it really looks like something was set up there, possibly like a tower, like, yeah. like a little like fire tower or something like that. Yeah. Uh, the footprint of these the, the holes that are in the concrete are very similar to that of like a, a fire tower. So there's nothing underneath. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's in a weird spot, but if you take out that house and you put a fire tower there, like I'm not even sure when the fire tower would have been there, but it, it doesn't seem, it doesn't feel as weird once you're looking at it and you don't look at the house, you look at the positioning of the, of the slab. Yeah. There could have been a fire tower. there. Hunting tower, hunting tower, maybe. Yeah. Here's one from Curtis. He says, I, not Curtis Murray. He said, I wanted to first thank you guys for the time and effort you put into the podcast slash show. He says, my daughter is a freshman in college at UCF, and she basically decided to be a lawyer because of the Innocence Project and true crime shows like yours. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Your show, outside of all the good work and attention it has brought to the case, is something that my daughter and I now share, and it has been a blessing. After watching the Oxygen documentary and listening to your podcast for about two weeks, I declared myself an expert on the subject of Maura Murray and borderline a master detective. What fascinates me most about this case is that that it's almost three cases in one. First, the days before she left, Maura seemed to be unraveling and a mess. Then the drive. Not many people just up and leave without telling anybody anything. Has she ever done that before? Uh, just bounced for a couple days. Lastly, the accident. Um, and he says, I won't even get into that because everything there is a question. But it seems like more of the focus on the accident and after, I can't really get past before the accident. Okay, so I see what he's saying. Um, has she ever left for a couple days before? I mean, we, we didn't know more, but there is a story of her leaving uh, I think it's skipping high, a day of high school, right, and going to Boston, taking the train, or I don't know if it was school. I don't know if it was high school, but yeah. she definitely left during the week and went into Boston. That's went into Boston. Def- yeah. Well, that's the story we heard. Yeah, uh, I think that was in the disappeared episode. Yeah, and and she was known to um, be an avid hiker, whether it was with her father or with her friends. It's not outside the realm of possibility that this was the first time she decided to go up to the white mountains by herself. She'd been there numerous times and I I might disagree a little bit with someone saying that people just don't go off on their own. Mm. I think that happens more often than we are aware or consider. Yeah. A good reminder to tell somebody where you're going. If you are going away, even if you're going away by yourself somewhere and you don't want people to know, it's very important to just tell at least one person, please. So Curtis goes on to say, I've been in produce sales since 2000. I've had a cell phone ever since. I remember back in 2004, I had a BlackBerry, but didn't have navigation. Did Maura print up MapQuest directions to where she was actually going? Or maybe did she have a GPS machine in her car? And so Maura actually printed up directions to Burlington, Vermont, which is not where she ended up. So that's a bit uh, perplexing to us, Um, I think. I think I spoke about it maybe on the last episode we did that uh, there is sort of a, a split when you're going up 91 and you can go one way towards Burlington or you can stay on 91 that takes you into New Hampshire. 
Um, and so some speculation was that maybe she got messed up at that highway uh, interchange. I think it's more simple. I think she Could didn't be. know where she was going, and she yeah. started heading north, and she had the printed-up directions because she didn't know exactly how to get to Burlington, but she knew how to get to the White Mountains, and she probably just made up her mind when it came time to make that decision. So you think she pivoted somewhere on the road? Yeah, well, I think she made a decision to go to the White Mountains as opposed to Burlington. After she had left her? Yeah. After her dorm, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe she just printed it up as a possibility. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like she got lost some way. I don't know if it was on the highway or afterwards, but... So uh, Curtis says, I know Maura was busy with school and work, but uh, was she dating anyone besides her long-distance boyfriend? Not that we know of, not that we've ever heard of. Uh, something small, but I go up to New Hampshire yearly for summer vacation with the family and always uh, stop at the rest stops by the Mass New Hampshire line where there are uh, New Hampshire State liquor stores and Lotto uh, because of the taxes. And uh, he says, uh, the reason I bring that up is because if I'm knowingly taking a long drive, I usually don't buy the alcohol until I get close to the destination. And Morris seemed to be uh, going on a stakeout. Uh, I'm not sure what that means, but I do get what he's saying, right? There's no taxes at that New Hampshire liquor store? Is that is he saying it would be cheaper? Yeah. As opposed to buying it at the liquor store in Amherst? Yeah. Interesting. Wonder how much cheaper? Like you're talking like ten bucks or something like that. I mean, if you're gonna buy in bulk, then it would make more sense to stop there. She spent like forty something bucks, though. Probably five bucks at the most, though. You're probably talking. I mean, that's just. I mean, considering that she remembered it was on the way. Yeah. I mean, he says that he went there often. Mora went there often as well, but I, she never went there alone. So I don't know if that was like the first thing that she was thinking. It was like maybe she just wanted to get the alcohol. So. I mean, I it's like I, I can't speculate. Yeah. On, on I, that. I also don't know if the New Hampshire liquor store is is present off of ninety one. I know it's present off of ninety three. Yeah, it's ninety three, yeah. Yeah, but I don't I don't recall seeing it on ninety one. I don't think it is. Yeah, so maybe that's the answer there. Um and then he says, Is there any que- connection between her and her friends and anyone on the Haverhill police force? Uh, not that we know of. He, like he said, he says like some young cop at the time meeting her at a UMass party. Definitely not that we have ever heard of. And has she ever gone with family or friends on that road before? Again, not that we ever know of. Um, Fred Murray, her dad, likes to think that she was headed to Bartlett and that that's why she was on that road. You're she talking was, Route uh, 112. Yeah, Route 112, that she was crossing over. Uh, from 91 where she went north up there yeah. and got off and took Route 112 that would get you over to the 93 side and potentially on your way to Bartlett. Uh, I mean, according to Fred, I believe, well, she she went to Jigger Johnson. Yeah. And I believe you'd need to go 112 to get to Jigger Johnson. Is that close? Is that right by there? Jigger Johnson Campground is actually on 112 on the other side of Lincoln. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, so you'd you'd be crossing if you're going up ninety one, you'd be crossing Lincoln through one twelve to get to Jigger Johnson. So you'd take one twelve from where you get off of ninety one all the way east, all the way past ninety three and yeah. past Lincoln. Yeah. Okay, interesting. It's close to Mount Kerrigan. And uh here's one from Shelley from Dacula, Georgia, with which is Dracula without the R. She says, follower of Mora's story for a few years, read the books, watched the shows, listened to the podcasts. Love you guys here and on Crawl Space. Thank you, Shelly. Shout out, Shelly. 
She says, thanks for keeping Maura's story alive. My question is, on a podcast or on here or somewhere, there was a mention once that I've heard of about Maura's alarm clock going off in her dorm room and that someone had to go in and turn it off. What time was it set for and was it set for the day after she went missing? Was that the only time it happened? Interesting if it was set and she wasn't planning on returning. Uh, yeah, I think that was in the the episode that we did like a, a few months ago with Clint Harding. Mm-hmm. That was the first time I had heard it too, actually. And um, I don't really recall the details. I don't know if anyone knows what time it went off. Yeah. Uh, but it was the next morning. Yeah, it was shut off the next morning, yeah. right? Someone went in there to shut it off. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I wish I knew more on that too. Here's one from Patrice. She said, Hi, I just finished watching the first four episodes of Finding Maura Murray and wondering if there will be additional episodes. There was a preview for another at the end of episode four. Where can I find it? I enjoyed the documentary immensely and am a regular listener of Crawl Space. Thank you. Thank you, Patrice. Uh, we don't have any more episodes of Finding Maura Murray ready yet. It is in the plans. Um, it's just a matter of getting a little bit more time to edit it. And uh, I know it's been a while since we've released some, closing in on a year. But uh, we do still have a bunch of footage, and it is still in the plans. It's probably going to happen later this year or early next year. I don't know. Got to figure out the bandwidth. Yeah. Uh, speaking of shout-outs, we have shout-out Susan. She yeah. she has a couple of really nice uh, she does. questions here. Um, my mugging story, you're just going to have to stay tuned for that. Uh. I'm not going to get into it here. That's more of a special Patreon-type um, event, if you will. Uh, her third question is, did the police fully investigate Morris track coach Hussein Baghdadi? Did any of her friends or family know that she was seeing him? Was she still seeing him when she went missing? He is always stuck in my mind because he was part of the outing club and knew about the cabin, according to the man that you spoke to at the cabin. I felt that James Renner dismissed him too quickly. I don't recall having heard that the police verified an alibi, and that is why. Okay. Yeah, so she's asking about Maura's old track coach, Hussein Baghdadi. Did any of her friends or family know that she was seeing him? Not that I know of, not that I'm aware of. I don't know if, has Julie ever answered that? Yeah, I I think they know of him now, but it was only yeah. after the fact. I don't think they knew while it was happening. And I think, and I could be wrong, but I think this was during the period of time when her and Bill were sort of on again, off again. So it was the assistant track coach. And it probably, as as much as he shouldn't have been involved in a relationship with a student it it i don't really feel like it was as sort of illicit and lurid as people make it out to be it was uh i think it was short-lived from what we understand and there were comments that he had given to i believe james renner where he had said yeah she had talked about you know running away or escaping or something so a lot of people put that you know all in the all in the mixed bag of of his story and and his involvement with Mora and it does cast a little bit of a shadow but you know t- right now we know that he's got a really good career and and a family and he wants to stay isolated from this story and i'm sure if there was anything that had to do with him and Mora's disappearance the police would have figured it out at this point yeah i would definitely hope so i would so. hope so yeah 
And uh, here, question number two, she asks. I think we can talk about this now, Lance. Oh, sure. She she said she asked, she asks uh, what happened with the threatening letter uh, when we re- were recording Empty Frames season one. And this is something that happened. Of course, Empty Frames is our art crime show. If you want to check that out, please do subscribe to Empty Frames wherever you're listening now. And uh, Empty Frames Season 1 was on the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist of Boston in 1990. And uh, we did get some threatening emails from someone who we had discussed in in that season. And uh, someone with a criminal record and someone that we didn't really want to continue pissing off. Yeah, I mean, this guy is always mentioned when people talk about the Gardner Museum heist. If you look into it even a little bit, even on the surface level, this guy's name comes up. So his name has been mentioned in a ton of things, but maybe he reaches out to everybody who mentions his name. <laughs> I don't know. And threatens them yeah. uh, in not so veiled ways. But He said uh, in email, he said, paintings aren't the only things that go missing. Yeah. And uh, we were like, hello, have you not heard of Missing Maura Murray? We're very familiar with missing people. Thank you. And then he uh, he was suggesting that we wanted a thrill. Oh, he did say something yeah, like something that. Like that. Yeah. yeah, there well, were like we're doing this because we're thrill seekers, looking for a thrill. Okay. Uh, so I don't know. I'll uh, go skydiving if I want a thrill, buddy. Yeah. Anyway. Well, open wide. <laughs> another one. Of, another one of his quotes. Yes. Anyway, thanks a lot, Susan. These are great, great questions. Shout out to you. Shout out, Susan. And you are also not disgusting. <laughs> and Susan uh, is a patron of ours, and so for five bucks a month, you get one uh, piece of content per week uh, over at Patreon. So check us out at patreon.com slash crawlspacepodcast. We have a lot of fun over there. Here's one from Edward. He says, hello, I have two questions regarding Mora's case. The first is, can we confirm 100% that Mora was driving the Saturn and it wasn't a different woman? Uh, no, we cannot confirm that 100%. I don't know how one would be able to confirm that 100%. Inle- yeah, exactly. Unless you were Mora, but I mean, 99.9 is the close we can, closest we can get to that. He says, the second question I have is, have you guys reached out to the Mind Shock podcast? Ugh. No, uh, we haven't. Um, just kind of seen some nasty comments from them online, so we're not really uh, working with them or anything like that. However, if they want to have a conversation offline, feel free to shoot us an email. Sure. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Here's one from Jennifer. She says, hey, guys, what happened to you guys covering the guys missing in Boston and the old case from the early 1900s? On Crawl Space, you were going to be discussing these cases from time to time, and I haven't heard anything about these. I want to say that it's kind of a good thing that we haven't been covering the cases of the missing men in Boston. There hasn't been one in a little while, and they're so fresh. Like, when they happen, they're so new. It's really hard to do anything that is helpful if you're if you're covering something that is like so new and the and the families don't want this sort of attention. They want to figure out what happened to their kid. So, yeah, I mean, while we did promise these things, we we covered it. If there's any new information on the old cases, we'll definitely bring that up. But 
any new ones that happen right now, if there's a missing person that happens to be in the Boston area, we'll definitely mention that. But it's not going to be an in-depth thing if, there, if you know, in the unfortunate circumstance that a body is found. Well, you just kind of have to be respectful and let, let things play out. Yeah. We, we did speak to a woman named, I think her name is Ina. And uh, she had a relative, I think it was her brother, who we had talked about on the show. Yeah. We spoke to her a few months ago, so that was something we were considering um, bringing you guys. Ina, if you're out there listening, uh, hit us back up. We'll uh, have you on the show. Yeah, yeah. We, we started a good dialogue with her. I think that's when... I think that's when I just started thinking about it, that, it, you know, this is like a heavy thing for people. It's a hard case to cover, and especially when, like, a lot of it points to, like, oh, a serial killer or, like, something paranormal when it doesn't really seem like that is the case to us anyway. Yeah, and I would hate it if it was my brother yeah. or, you know, and they're saying, like, is it a smiley face killer thing or is it a paranormal thing? Yeah. Uh, we, we've annoying. learned a lot. We've yeah. learned a lot here. As far as the Dean murder in Jaffrey in uh, 1918... We got it. We got some stuff planned, but God damn it, it gets busy here. We got some <laughs> stuff planned. We we have the transcripts from the grand jury hearing that took place back then, and we have some really good narrators who have taken these uh, sections and they've read them. So there will be a release of these at some point. It's just again a matter of trying to find the uh, the old bandwidth to make it happen. Yeah. So here's one from Luciana. She says, uh, why do you think it is that some cases such as Maura Murray, Amy Mahalovic, Brian Schaefer, Jacob Wetterling provide or provoke so much attention, discussion, podcast and popularity? While there are so many other missing person, unidentified persons and unsolved mur murders that are rarely mentioned. I think that's an interesting point. I think it's super interesting, and I would love to have Maggie on, Maggie Freeling on, to talk about her work that she does with the indigenous women, women of color, uh, just all of these like minorities that go unnamed. The reason why these are popular are because they're relatable people. They're they're relatable to what we see every day, and and they're incredible mysteries. They have no evidence. They have no trace. So that that on top of it helps when inquisitive minds want to figure something out. Yeah, it's when a, a type of situation where your imagination can kind of get a hold of you and take you somewhere. I think that's a big part of it. But I don't know. I mean, I do think it's an interesting question. Um, why why do they provoke so much attention? Podcasts, and I I do think there's something in like the podcast sphere that kind of so certain cases get caught up in like a windmill and kind of get repeated by podcasts. Um, in this field, you know, I think that's happened a lot. Yeah. And I mean, it's a lot more appealing to look at someone like Brian Schaefer than someone who is a minority who is found on the streets of Baltimore or Chicago, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's all about the mystery, right? I, I think it's a heavy combination of the mystery and them being relatable to mm. you. Mm. Me? Well, uh -oh. I mean... You, the, the, you know, you, the, the general the royal public. you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's one from Chris. He says, we know Mora was at least messing with the trunk of her car due to the witness statement, quote, a flurry of activity in the trunk, end quote. And the rag in the tailpipe was kept in the trunk. I believe it is very possible she climbed into the trunk to hide and likely succumbed to the elements as she could not escape that vehicle. As per the article, we know there was uh, not a trunk release inside that model. 
uh, of car and uh, inside the trunk. Uh, so this would mean that the police and or tow truck driver would have discovered and hidden the body. Would love to hear your thoughts and possible explanation on this. I, I don't I don't believe it um, that that Mora climbed in her trunk uh, at all. I mean, I think he, he hits on the point like it, the tow truck driver or the police officer would have had to have hidden her body. I just think that's too far of a leap to go because that person wouldn't have been guilty of anything. Why would they hide her body? I, I think, again, what we keep bringing up is that to explore anything other than what we know isn't really going to get us anywhere. What what we know is that there was a rag in the tailpipe and we know that there was a flurry of activity at the trunk and we know that Fred had told her what to do in case she wanted to stop the car from sputtering in situations. So all of that leads to her putting the rag in the tailpipe and according to all of the other accounts, there's no indication that she got into the trunk or was forced into the trunk. Yeah. I, I mean, say what you will about the Westmans, Faith Westman who had called it in and right across the street, I would like to think that if she had seen some sort of activity by the trunk right around that time that included someone putting Mora in the trunk, then she would have reported that. Yeah. Now, if it had happened like the police did it or someone came along right after Butch was there and Faith just wasn't looking, I mean, you still have you still have Witness A pulling up at some point. Like, yeah. to, to put him in the trunk that quickly, to put someone in a trunk that quickly... Or even if she did it, it herself. Even if she did it herself. I mean, that that's that's more of like a plausible thing for me, I guess, if we're going there. But I'm not. I mean, that's like she, she's done nothing to indicate that she would be that dumb. And she wasn't yelling uh, while, you know, there was a couple hours of people around the car checking out the scene. Like she wasn't yelling and screaming, help get me out. So, yeah, I, I don't think the trunk has any um, validity to it. I think it's I think I think it's exactly what we have always thought it was. She got the rag out of the trunk. Yeah, I do. I do, too. From Shannon, she says, I was wondering if the two of you have ever had a disagreement. You seem to get along quite well, but I'm sure there must have been instances where you have diverted in opinion or disagreed on an approach slash theory slash guest. Have you ever really disagreed and how do you settle disagreements? You know, we could disagree just to create like tension for the listener and that that'd be fun, I guess, for the listener. But honestly, it's exhausting. Like we just had a moment. <laughs> a few minutes ago where you you thought that she was uh she got lost on her way up yeah and in my head i feel like it's more rational that somewhere along the line she made the decision to not go to burlington we could have a 20 minute argument about who's right but you know what no one's gonna be right yeah because we don't know so, so we so, settle so, so we we settle it with fisticuffs yeah bare knuckle boxing bare knuckle boxing old school style <laughs> like the uh logo on the notre dame that's right football helmet that's right from ramey Ramey says the New Hampshire cold case unit has recently solved, among other cases, the Bear Brook murders from the 70s. This case has had a lot less information than Mora's case. The unit seems pretty amazing, but does this give you any hope for Mora's case to someday be solved by them? Absolutely. I think so. Yeah. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but were, there was more than one person or two people involved with Bear Brook. Yeah. And there were bodies found. Yeah, bodies found yeah, in the barrels, the but they with, didn't know who they were. The problem with Morris' case is that there's zero. Yeah. And for all we know, a single person took Mora and did yeah. what only they know they did. And that's what makes it really tough. And um, Ramey goes on here, says, I am from New Hampshire, and I think that a billboard was discussed uh, would do better probably up in the Mi White Mountain region. I think we had spoken about doing it in Manchester. 
And I think that's a good point. But I think as we discussed here that there are very few billboards in the state of New Hampshire at all. I think most of them are in the Manchester region. Yeah. And while a billboard and I, maybe I'm speaking uh, on a contrary note here that people don't want to hear. But can't I wait to disagree really, with you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really think a billboard will do much good. Yeah, I think I think money spent needs to go towards anything that can be brought as evidence that can be tested. Yeah, a billboard can do something if the person or persons responsible saw it and they start to get nervous. But after all of this attention that that's on there, the TV show, the news, you know, the the the, the news pressers that just happened with the new searches, this show, Aaron show. I mean, there's so much out there right now. I don't know what a billboard's going to do that's going to make somebody nervous. Yeah, I mean, I guess just looking at it potentially, but more from Ramey. She says, any thoughts about Nathaniel Kibbe being involved in Mora's disappearance? He had kidnapped Abigail Hernandez in the same area of New Hampshire. Kibbe would have been about 19 at the time of Mora's disappearance. That's pushing it for a serial killer. Yeah, I mean, I, we've definitely heard about this uh, Nathaniel Kibbe and yeah. the Abigail Hernandez case, um, but haven't really tried to connect them very hard at all. I think, uh, yeah, it's a little unlikely. I think. I mean, I also you think in fifteen years, right? So if this guy, you know, kidnapped Mora fifteen years ago and then kidnapped Abigail Hernandez late, like ten, fifteen years later, it just seems like there might have been more in the meantime. You know, I think it's important to look at it and try to weed it out yeah take take it out of the out of the equation like you should do with israel keys yeah right very very interesting possibility but from a step back you can see this probably isn't a realistic scenario especially if you just simply look at the area in which she went missing she says there seems to be a lot of thoughts on why mora wouldn't have run down bradley hill road any reasons why i think because I mean, my primary reason is the dogs didn't pick up any scent beyond that that spot yeah. of Bradley Hill Road. I think if she had taken that right and went down the road, I, I feel like the dogs probably would have at least gone a little bit down that road. And it's also up the hill uh, from where Mora went missing. It would actually be up kind of a devastating hill, actually. goes goes on for a long time. Uh, several miles, I feel like. So that's not an easy hill to run up or walk up or anything. Of Once you're on Bradley Hill. Yeah, yeah, but Bradley Hill Road's pretty intense. Here's one from Rebecca. She says, so I'm listening to the CrimeCon episode now, and I don't actually have any questions, but I listen to your podcast through CastBox, shout out CastBox, and I just wanted to let you all know how much I appreciate your podcast that you include other missing persons cases. I love true crime podcasts, but it's so annoying to follow 50 different ones about 50 different missing people, so to have you guys do an episode about somebody else that is, you know, really refreshing. Also, on the theory that she ran to Canada, I doubt that if she ran away, it's probably to Delaware. Nobody ever looks in Delaware. That's a good point. <laughs> Count it. Uh, anyway, love your podcast. Thanks for the insight. Thank you, Rebecca. Really appreciate that. That's a really nice email. And uh, we are covering other cases. We have been doing that for, I guess, a couple months now. And we're going to continue to do that here on uh, on this podcast, on this feed. Sure thing. I mean, there's only so much that you can <laughs> talk about with one case. and. 
when you've established and and nurtured a platform like this and you have a very loyal listener base and they're into trying to help with missing persons and and unsolved cases you might as well use this platform to put the word out there for as many things as possible in regards to missing people yeah unsolved cases unidentified bodies and once uh, a more murray update happens the show will be 100 percent about more murray that that episode will be about more murray yeah uh, but we got a platform, and, and it's time to try to use it in a more broad way. Yeah, and speaking of other cases, we uh, we had Ledessa on, who was uh, in a relationship with Brandon Lawson when he went missing. And this episode aired about a month ago. And we did get a lot of emails and questions on YouTube why we didn't ask Ledessa her interpretation of the 911 call. And I thought about this a little bit, and I think the reason why is because she started discussing a little bit of Brandon when he's in a paranoid mood, when he potentially is under the influence of something. And so... She was describing exactly what's on that 911 call, basically. The behavior that he shows on that 911 call is what she was describing when he gets uh, a certain amount of uh, messed up. And so I think we kind of didn't see the reason because I think we just thought she would have said that. So I think we were kind of, we'd kind of moved past it at that point. But I do understand we probably should have asked anyway just to get her um, her answer, but that is that is the reason why we probably didn't ask. And... I don't want to diminish what we do, but you and I are not trained journalists. And occasionally there are moments where you get caught up in just the humanness of everything. And that was a really emotional episode to listen to. I mean, she had her kids in the background at at certain points. Like it was tough to talk to her about her, you know, missing ex, the father of her kids. And, you know, occasionally you're listening as, as a listener and you hear something and then you have the you know the fortunate uh, what is like the the you can look back on it and say oh i would have asked that question there's numerous times when we've said that, that yeah but you just don't think about it sometimes because again you're talking to a woman who's trying to deal with the fact that her ex is gone and the father of her kids are is gone yeah and in addition to covering other cases recently we have started uh, dropping other show uh episodes in our feed and that is because this network uh, is is expanding and we as a company are kind of growing. And so you may hear some other ones, but uh, just, you know, check it out. If, you, if you're if you interested, that's great. If not, you know what, just download it and delete it. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, we appreciate the uh, the lack of complaints on this. We are, again, trying some new stuff. And it's all got to do with the fact that we have the opportunity and the means to do this. Yeah. And the means being you guys, the listeners. If you keep consuming it, we have the the, the doors open for us to... Do something better. Yeah. All of the new shows, if you hear it, all of the new shows are within the same vein. They're all trying to answer a question or or help some sort of organization or movement. Yeah. And check out Strange World on Travel Channel Mondays at 11 p.m. Which is the fun part of all of this. We finally get something to do where we can just sort of speculate wildly (laughs) and, and goof off with a really cool guy, Christopher Garitano. Here's one from Lindsay. She said, I wrote you last week, but I forgot to add in my email a theory slash question that I'm wondering if it's been considered. Personally, I can't make heads or tails or tails about what I truly believe happened to Mora. My initial thought has always been that the woods, that she ended up in the woods, but now I feel that she probably did get picked up that night. I was wondering if anybody has considered the possibility of Mora's disappearance ending up like Brian Barton. 
you know, uh, you probably know about his case already, but to sum it up, I, I don't know that. That name does not sound familiar at all to me. She says he went missing from his apartment and wasn't found for several years, but when he was found, he was practically hiding in plain sight right near a very populated area in a churchyard. So I'm curious if anyone has considered this or looked at Brian's case as a possible theory slash outcome. I would say I I think countless people have considered that um, as evidenced by some of the searches that happen up there yearly or, or maybe twice a year sometimes. People are searching that you know, direct vicinity and including us, we've been there doing the same thing. So I think that's definitely been considered. Uh, I don't personally think she's right there in that vicinity, but I do think it's a possibility. Right. You can't dismiss any possibility that comes up. You can look at other cases like this, Brian, you know, he was hiding in plain sight. I don't know the extent of that search, but Mm. Every situation, every case is different, and every investigation is different. And I mean, look at the uh, look at the Delphi murders. They had a certain composite sketch that was out yeah. there for a long time, and then it changed so drastically recently. Yeah. So there's a there's a complete 180 in some investigation. It's really tough to use one one investigation in one case and say, well, this happened over here. Has it been considered that it could happen over here? Well, of course, but the odds of it are pretty staggering. Yeah. When you when you think about how many missing and unsolved missing people and unsolved cases there are in this country, the odds are not good that someone's hiding in plain sight. That you just hear about that because it's finally an answer to one of these things. Yeah, it happens occasionally. Another question here from Lindsay. She said, you mentioned that there are things you can't share with the public, which is understandable. Is there anything shocking that you guys know and can't share? Uh, I don't I don't think necessarily shocking. There might be some details, not not like specifically about Mora's disappearance, but maybe about some of the people um, that have been discussed <laughs> as possible persons of interest yes, and stuff yeah. like that. So some stuff like that that we've heard that would be quite shocking to you, I think. But yeah. but again, not specifically related to Mora. Right. Definitely some stuff that we've read. Yeah. Like some stuff that we've heard has been unsettling. Yeah. To say the least. And if anything happened that was shocking about Moore's case, I mean, I don't think we would hear about it first. Yeah, we definitely wouldn't hear first. You know, if that if that info came, we'd be learning about it pretty much at the same time as everybody else. I think that's exactly true, yeah. And uh, here's one from Kevin. Kevin says, I think it would be beneficial to hear FBI profiler Jim Clemente again. Do you think you guys can conduct another interview with him? He says, in my opinion, I think he, he can offer more credible insight on Mora's disappearance, along with details on a suspect who might have not been transient in a case where foul play might have been uh, the culprit here. So interesting question, Kevin, and uh, I would love to have Jim Clemente on again. Yeah, Jim Clemente, open door policy, of course. His buddies, uh, Bobby Chacone and Francie Hakes, like those guys are all welcome on the show anytime. But we had Jim on as an FBI profiler. He was not that familiar with Moore's case, and we wanted to keep it that way because we didn't. We wanted to present him the information and just see what his initial reaction would be. Now, after he's familiarized himself with it, it would be really cool to get him back on. So, yeah, yeah anytime he wants to come back on, we'll 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 definitely uh, take that if he's got any information or any sort of insight into the type of person, you know. Uh, a deeper dive into the type of person that might have done something to Mora. 
And Allie, Allie has a fun question. All these years later, there's this is still my favorite podcast. Thank you, Allie. You're still Thank you, Allie. right up there as one of our favorite listeners. Last summer, you did a show with Lori Bruno. Lori Bruno being the renowned psychic and witch. White, witch white witch from Salem, Massachusetts. She said she believes something will happen in the case close to the end of 2018. Have you ever followed up on that, whether it was possibly that search that was done recently? I'd say, I don't know, with Lori, you just have to, you can't really follow up. She'll follow up with you. She'll yeah. let you know. And I would say if anything happened with the case close to the end of 2018, I think that search was, uh, you could take that as as possibly what Lori was indicating yeah i think so and uh yeah laurie will throw out a lot of names and dates and things like that and you know she doesn't bat a thousand but uh she she is eerily accurate on certain things and uh so i would say that 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 might be uh the case in the, in this one but um yeah as you mentioned lance you don't really reach out to laurie she reaches out to you actually so just by talking about her right now there's a good chance i'm gonna, get gonna a, call you i'm gonna get a random phone call that's usually the way it goes with laurie bruno and here's a long one here from Lisa. Lisa says, love listening to your podcast about Mora. The first time I heard about Mora's disappearance was when I saw it disappeared. Very strange case. She's speaking about some of the witnesses, and she said that someone uh, saw what she thought was a person in Mora's car with a cigarette, which was probably a red light from Mora's cell phone. Was it just after the accident? Uh, that's her question. I think pretty soon after, maybe 10, 5, 10 minutes afterwards, yeah. Or was it after she got out and assessed the damage? I don't know. Probably. No, I, th I think it was right after just the way it reads because yeah. Faith calls and says that um, she can see a man in the car smoking a cigarette. So if she's confusing Mora with a, if she's just assuming it was a man and she can't tell the gender of the person and it was a cell phone, then I would assume that it's right after the accident and Mora's trying to make a call. And I think Lisa's trying to put together that if, if it was just after the accident, could she have been trying to call the, the quote-unquote tandem driver? I mean, maybe. I don't know who she was trying to call, but we do know that no call ever went through because there's no service there. So she might have been trying to call a uh, hypothetical tandem driver, but was not able to because there is no service there. She might have been trying to call AAA, like she told Butch she had called. Yeah, I think that's probably more likely, but yeah. that's just my opinion now. Here's one from Ryan. He says, I've been following your podcast since 2017. It became clear to me at a certain point that there are aspects of this case that you cannot talk about. How does that affect the way that you feel about the case moving forward? In the latter part of 2018, I did some deeper digging into the case online. I was really surprised by what I read about one possible theory surrounding persons of interest or even a suspect in the case, but I was not surprised that you did not cover it on the podcast given the issue of liability and the ongoing investigation best wishes and thank you for what you you do from ryan uh yeah i mean if you do some digging out there some of the message boards and stuff like that you will see names uh you will see uh, hypothetical scenarios you know speculation that kind of thing about certain people we definitely try not to do that at least in our uh, old age here lance uh in our experience days we definitely try not to do that there are some names like like say the the house that the murrays dug up like again like we just talked about we don't necessarily want to put those names out there because there's really no reason to bring them into it now if there's no body in that house you know like yes there are weird rumors and uh even some actual documented crimes from some of those people but not necessarily stuff we need to put out there at this time i guess 
yeah, I don't have much more than that to say. I mean, it's just a matter of trying to figure out what's the right way to put out information. And trying to be responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Here's one from Jamie. She says, are all of the episodes of your podcast available on YouTube? That is a big yes. She says, and how does the Finding Maura Murray show fit in? Is that yours too? Yes, that is. And that is available on Amazon Prime or on Vimeo for our international listeners. Check that out. It's called Finding Maura Murray. Right now there's four episodes. It's a video documentary that we produced ourselves, not The Disappearance of Maura Murray, which you should also check out, but that's on Oxygen. All right. Well, Abby here has a bunch of questions. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. uh, Her first question is interesting. There have been multiple unconfirmed sightings of Mora. For example, the Father's Day sighting in the church, the Cumberland Farm sighting where someone saw a woman mouthing help me in addition to others. I was recently reviewing the May 6, 2004 article of the Caledonian Record. Uh, In this article, Lieutenant Scarinza says the following, not not only believes the witness information is credible, he also believes the man actually saw the Hanson, Massachusetts resident. What he's talking about there is Rick Forster's sighting down by Hummingbird Lane, about five and a half to six miles away from the accident site. So her question is, what made him think that the sightings are credible? And do we think that they're credible as well? Curious uh as to your thoughts. I wish I thought they were credible. Yeah. I mean, I wish we had more information to go on with them, too. I, what the police have said is, is the last time she was spotted that we know of was right by the car. That doesn't mean that she wasn't spotted and it wasn't a credible sighting afterwards, but we don't know about that. But I would say that if she was spotted after that and it was a credible sighting, then we probably would know about that. Yes. Yes. So I would say that, no, I don't think any of those are credible. And I'm not saying that there wasn't a moment in the store where somebody mouthed the word help me to the cashier behind the counter. That could have could have been the case. And then that person sees something on the news, Mora's pictures there. Mora had a very recognizable, familiar face. You could see a brunette with dimples and and say that that's Mora Murray. That could have happened. There yeah. there actually could have been somebody mouthing, help me. To not have any other follow-up on that leads me to believe that that probably wasn't Mora. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know about any, like, surveillance video of that moment. You know, like, I don't even know if that was really followed up on um, and taken seriously. I, I, we don't know. I mean, we were told that everything that comes in is followed up on. Yeah. You know, to the point of how much do you follow up on this years later? You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, you can you can pull try to pull that surveillance tape. And if it's not Mora, you know, can you identify the people? I don't know. I mean, we're, yeah, it's definitely a different operation um, in that case. Yeah. And uh, the Father's Day sighting in the church. I'm kind of fuzzy on that. I know that there was like a name that was signed in a book. So, yeah, I don't know I'd about say that. The, I'd say the overall, you know, thing to take from this is understand that there were sightings or reports of sightings. Still but, are. And there still are. But also understand, like, people are still citing Mora as if she were 21 years old. Yeah, I think you they're, know, they're picturing her at that as, age. As a 21 year old. Yeah. yeah. So look into it because honestly, like, if the more people who look into it, the more information that, that comes of it, but it's never going to end. Yeah. I think that's just something to take from this is that it's never going to end. And the sightings, you mean 
the claims of sightings. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. The, the, certainly until this case is over with yeah. the, and the book is closed on it, the sightings will always continue. Yep. And here's one from Claire. She says, I've looked everywhere to find the original podcast episodes you've done about Mora. Are those episodes deleted, or is there any way to listen to them? Well... Claire, thank you very much for the email. As of right now, the only place you can find them is YouTube, but also Stitcher Premium. Check that out. Stitcher Premium, $4.99 a month. Check them all out. There's 60 of them on there uh, at Stitcher Premium. There's also 60 Creator Commentaries episodes, which is Lance and I talking over the first 60 episodes of the Missing Moramari podcast from years before. And you can get a... Really sweet glimpse into the special kind of torture that we go through listening to this. <laughs> but comedy aside, there there is information in those early episodes that was not 100% accurate just because we didn't have all of the facts in place and all of the information accessible to us. So we get to go back and correct some mistakes and clarify some things that we just weren't aware of. Yeah. I know this isn't exactly a uh, AMA or a Ask Us Anything email but frank here uh has a long email of different cases that he's talking about us covering i just want to say yes we will absolutely look into all of these cases and that is the purpose of rebranding missing more murray keep those coming if you know do you know valerie percy's case do you know chris block's case keep those coming we're going to highlight all of these and and at some point yeah we're going to try to make it a a, a thing to cover cases like this yeah. he also says uh Elisa Lamb hasn't gotten the attention she deserves. I beg to differ. Please go check out Brain Scratch, John Lorden's coverage of Elisa Lamb. He does a great job really humanizing it and taking out the uh, speculation and the ghost story the ghost part story aspect. Yeah. yeah. And here's our last one here from Pelfrey the Dog. She's Love got Pelfrey the Dog. <laughs> yeah, she's got a few. Um, let's see, you read about the Father's Day sighting. Uh, she also asks about the Cecil Smith and John Monahan transcripts from the Oxygen series. Looking back at Cecil's interview, it seems that Cecil was pretty convinced that Mora committed suicide versus falling victim to any criminal activity. However, this is contradictory to Strelzin's statement in the civil trial that there's a 75% chance of conviction. What do you think the reason for this discrepancy is? And I think... Now, it it is still really interesting that, that Strelzin said he thought there was a 75% chance of conviction. But I think the answer, you kind of answered in the question. I think because the New Hampshire State Police was going through a, a lawsuit in which uh, they were trying to prove that they were close to conviction, you know, that's, what, that's why he said that. Um, I, I don't think he was lying necessarily. I don't know. Um, I, I'm sure that he does believe there's a good chance of conviction in Mora's case, but obviously it's been about 10 years later and that hasn't happened. So I think the reason he said that is because he thought that they would get a conviction, but also because they had just won a case against Fred Murray about giving out information. And that was why they didn't want to give out information was because they thought they were going to get a conviction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough to Again, that's all we we don't have the inner workings of the law of the New Hampshire State Police and law enforcement up there. So I think it's also weird to say a seventy five percent chance. I think it's weird to put a percentage on these types of things, but hey, I again I, I am not privy to the information. But I, I am in agreement with what you what you're saying, like the reasonings behind that. Yeah, I think that makes the most sense in my head. 
Uh, she says, any chance you could have Deg Deb, the dog handler, back on the podcast to explain what could have caused the dogs to be wrong in the house that was searched? I would love to hear her explanation, her expert opinion on the whole thing. And I think we did reach out to her, but didn't hear back. Is that, that uh, Well, she has her, I guess... Um, <laughs> her protege uh our our buddy um ah yes yeah Travi. So, travis yeah so Travi d so he he said that he would reach out to her he said that she would love to come back on and he would reach out to her uh and then um yeah we just haven't heard back i think you know people get busy and you know, yeah just check in again and maybe we can get the two of them back on and they can try to explain what would cause dogs to have a false uh, positive reaction. Yeah, and do they think it's a false positive uh, reaction? Mm. Question six here. Who is better at arm wrestling, Tim or Lance? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go with Tim. Yeah, you got longer arms. <laughs> and you also dislocated your left elbow. That's true. A few months ago. So, yeah, lost a bit of arm strength there. So I do have my right, which <laughs> I could try to work with. But you mean you're wrong. My wrong. How is Eric the dog? Number five, the question. Eric's doing great. Yep, follow him on Twitter, at superballon one <laughs> He's a delight. And Abby goes on to say, thank you very much, and I will be at the October 5th show in Brooklyn that we are doing with Maggie Freeling from the Disappearance of Maura Murray TV show from Oxygen. She is going to be there with me and Lance and Patrick Hines and Jillian Pensavale of True Crime Obsessed, the true crime comedy podcast that uh, is actually really funny and uh, a lot of fun. So check out that show. There are links in the show notes. That's at the Bell House, which is a uh, familiar stomping ground for true crime obsessed, and that is going to be a ridiculous night. (laughs) It really is. So thank you very much for listening here, everybody. We really appreciate it, and we will be back next week. When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Private Investigations for the Missing, because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter, Brianna, disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.